Amen. You ready? Awesome. Well, Lord, it's already been prayed, but I just ask you on one more time. Anoint your servant. Help me, Lord, to get out of the way. May you bless the word and honor your promise that wherever your word goes, it will accomplish what you've set it out to accomplish. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Well, last week we talked about the Red Sea. This week we begin a new sermon series called The Promise of Covering. For those that may be new with us today or recently, our theme for the year is the promise. And the scriptures are full of God's promises, over 3,000 that can be found and identified specifically that are promises of God. And I can tell you that we serve a God who keeps his promises. Where we're going today is to the Lord's table. We'll be taking at the end of our time together, communion together, remembering the blood and the body that was broken for us of Jesus Christ upon a cross. We're going to go there through the wilderness and understand that in the Old Testament, a guy named Chuck Missler says it this way, the Old Testament is, the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. The Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. In other words, everything in this book points to Jesus. All throughout Genesis, all the way to Revelation, it's all about our Savior. I'd like to begin with a story. And I also would like to begin with a statement that Greater Life Church is deeply committed to moving forward towards what God has us called to. And if you're deeply committed to moving forward, then you've also made a commitment to never go back. When the Israelites left Egypt, the Bible tells us that God led them around a wilderness path because he knew if they met the army of the Philistines, they would go back to Egypt because they weren't strong enough yet. We learn that in the Scriptures there is a passage that tells us that that God will not tempt us beyond what we can bear. Sometimes we say that God won't give us beyond what we can bear, but what it specifically says is God will not tempt you beyond what you can bear. He will always be faithful to provide a way out. So the excuse of the devil that made you do it is null and void as of right now. You just learned something. God will provide a way out. And nothing could illustrate this more than this story of the Israelites we find themselves, we, who find themselves in front of the Red Sea. They cannot escape through the sea because it's the sea. They cannot go back because the Egyptians are at their back and they are ready to attack, they're ready to recapture, they're ready to even kill. 
And the Scripture tells us in Exodus 14 that the angel of the Lord and the pillar of cloud which was leading them went to the rear of the nation of Israel. But what's interesting is we find that in verse 20 in the second part, it says, but the Egyptians and the Israelites did not approach each other all night. So because God created a barrier, not only for the Egyptians to get to the Israelites, I believe that God was also recognizing that there was a temptation that the Israelites would run back to the Egyptians. Hey, we give up. We want to be on your team. You with me? Because they were moving forward, God knew that the temptation might be too much for them to bear. I'm reminded of a story that happened in the early church days. The Romans were still in charge. It was 320 A.D. There was a Roman legion commander named Lysias. He was the commander over the 12th legion and commanded his troops in what is now modern-day Turkey. What had happened is the Roman nation was required to recognize Caesar as their God. And for them to become a Christian or to acknowledge Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is also saying that Caesar is no longer our God. And so the Roman leadership and the governor of that area found out that in the 12th legion there were 40 Roman soldiers that have become followers of Jesus. He asked them to give up their faith. He demanded that they would give up their faith. He called upon them to turn their backs on Jesus. Many of those soldiers were Christians that at that point in time, because while they were killing Christians, they realized that they would rather give their life than give up their faith in Jesus. They beat them. They punished them. When nothing else worked, they put them on a frozen, a frozen pond nearby. They stripped them of their clothing and they said, all you, have to do, all you have to do is deny Jesus and your life will be saved. To add even further temptation, they put a bathhouse on the shore that was heated. And so these 40 soldiers stand upon the ice, huddled together, freezing to death. As day turned to night, it got colder. And one soldier made his way off of the ice and into the warm bathhouse, denying Christ. The Romans decided and thought that there would be a flood of others that would deny Jesus, but only the one turned his back on Christ. When the sun rose the next day, there were 39 soldiers who lay frozen to death upon that pond because Jesus was more important to them than going back. In the story today, we find the Israelites in a wilderness place who begin to complain. But make no mistake, God loves us enough to keep us from our own 
stupidity. In the Greek, it also means stupidity. Probably Aramaic and Hebrew too. The Proverbs tells us not to answer a fool for their folly or they will seem wise in their own eyes. Israel was being foolish in our stories today. Yet God was patient with them and merciful with them. My buddy's going to go out there. Tulu's got her hand full. God bless you, Tulu. Love that little fella. I dedicated him. <laughs> God had patience and mercy as we find the children of God, the, the Israelites complaining against God. And when you think of the Old Testament, what I think at least at first comes to mind is when people come against God, God says, uh-uh, no, you're not. I'm going to strike you. I'm going to deal with you. I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to punish you. That's what I picture. And then I read this. Like, God, why? Why didn't you do something? Because the law had not yet been given. Because this is before the Ten Commandments, the structure of worship, the mandates and the decrees of God had not yet come forth to the children of Israel. Church, let me remind you that we cannot judge the unbeliever like we do the believer. There's this thing that people like to throw around, judge not, judge not lest you be judged. But there's also, let me remind you, in the letters to the Corinthians that Paul writes, that we are to judge one another within the body. So yes, we are to push one another towards holiness. But when you sit there and watch the news and are frustrated with people that are making choices in sin, let me also remind you that they are spiritually dead. In many cases, they do not know. In many cases, and yet, we find in Romans chapter 1 that no one's left without excuse. In Hebrews 10, 26, it says, If we willfully sin after receiving knowledge, there is no covering for our sin. Pastor, what are you talking about? I'm talking about God's mercy. That God's mercy is greater than ours. I know when I watch the news and find out the injustice that's in the world, I get angry. And it's as if God reminds me that they are spiritually dead, Andrew. I've called you to reach people like that. We find the Israelite people who are just now beginning to realize what, it likes, what it's like to have a leader. To have some freedom in a sense of being released from slavery from Egypt. The word wilderness has a couple of different definitions. One, of course, is what you think of. It's, it's a land and a barren place. But the other definition, de definition of wilderness is actually uncultivated people. Think of it. Not only was Israel in the wilderness, but Israel in themselves was the wilderness. God was cultivating them to become the nation that he knew he's calling them to be. Maybe even in your own walk, I can tell you with pretty much confidence that when you first came to meet Jesus, your spiritual walk was probably very uncultivated. But day by day, you learn more and more like 
what it's like to be like Jesus and you begin to make decisions to be sanctified and, and to lay down the things of this world and the things of the flesh to follow after him. With all that being said, today we're going to look at three complaints that the Israelites made against Moses and against God. And in each complaint, there is an answer to that. When we get to the end of our time today, we will learn that it all points to Jesus. Complaint number one, bitter water. Exodus chapter 15, beginning in verse 22. The entirety of the scripture before this passage, before I read it, is what's called the Song of, Mo of Moses. It's literally a worship song and praise for all the great things that God has done. And yet, it didn't take them long to forget about it. Here we go. Verse 22, then Moses led the people away from the Red Sea. They moved out into the desert of Shur. They traveled in, in this desert for three days without finding water. When they came to, an, oh, to the oasis of Marah, the water was too bitter to drink. They called the place Marah, which means bitter. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. What, what are we going to drink? They demanded. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help. The Lord showed him a piece of wood. Moses threw it into the water and it made the water good to drink. It was there at Marah, the Lord set before them the following decree. Listen to this. If you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all his decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. After leaving Marah, the Israelites traveled to the oasis of Elam, where they found 12 springs and 70 palm trees. They camped there beside the water. On your note sheet, you have complaint number one, bitter water. And at the bottom, you have God's answer. God's answer is threefold, refreshing, healing, and a new home. Why is bitter water bad? Because it will make you sick. Did you know that bitterness in today's church has nothing to do with water, but it will make you sick. You see, when you hang on to something and you become bitter and you refuse to let that thing go, studies has even shown that hanging on to bitterness and anger will make you physically sick. You see, God knows that. That's why the scripture even says that, that laughter is good, medicine. You see, the Israelites complaining about bitter water and God's answer was refreshing, healing, and a new home to, to acknowledge what I've already said, but to repeat it again. They complained, and, and I would expect at least that God would say, uh-uh, you're not complaining against me. Who said it? You're banished from the camp. Now you got to drink the bitter water the rest of your life. That kind of a sense is what I thought might have happened. But instead... He gave Moses a solution. He gave a vision for leadership. There was patience and there was mercy during this time for the children of Israel. I pray, I pray, I pray 
that for those that have not yet had the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that the same patience and the same mercy of a loving God would happen in their own lives. That even in our nation, when there are people that are utterly blinded to the truth of the gospel, that God would be merciful because he is. The other thing that he gave them was healing. Healing for the people. He said, if you'll just do what I say, you'll be protected from disease. The third attribute or the third application that I see here is he gave them a new home. Aren't you thankful that we serve a God who's a God of detail and intentionality? The Scripture tells us there were 12 springs and there were 70 palm trees. In this region, the palm trees were most likely date palm trees. And it doesn't take you a whole lot of study to find out that date palm trees had then and have now incredible medicinal qualities. I wonder how God kept them from the diseases of Egypt that they had just come from. <laughs> Picture this if you could for a moment. COVID-19 is only in one place in all the world, and it's in Egypt back then. And Israel was in Egypt. And God said, that disease you'll never have to worry about as long as you listen to me. And then he plops them down next to immunity from COVID-19. Notice I didn't say vaccine. Just being careful with my words here. <laughs> but 70 palm trees is a direct correlation to the 70 people that went to Egypt in the first place when Joseph was there. He's a God of detail. 12 springs for the 12 tribes of Israel. He's a God of detail. And yet we still have a hard time trusting him with the most easy requests that we bring before him. God knows where you are and he knows how to fix it. And he is a God of miracles and detail. The second complaint sounds a little bit like a toddler because the Israelites come to, Mo to Moses and say, we're going to starve to death. Verse 3 of chapter 16, if only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, there we sat around with pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. <laughs> God, you brought us here to starve us to death. If you had just left us in slavery. I grew up, my, I'm a pastor's kid. And when I was little, um, my mother would buy my clothes at weird places. And then I became middle school age, and I began to realize that clothes actually have name brands. And I began to realize that the name brands that I had was not the name brands I was supposed to have. And so the Velcro shoes that I wore for the past 10 years of my life, they, don't, they weren't what I was supposed to be wearing anymore. And so, Mom, I need Jordans. And her answer, you need a job. What you need? But at the end of the day, my complaint was silly. It was foolish because clothes had been provided for me. Food had been provided for me. And I'm saying, I can't live like this in these conditions. 
And this is what the Israelites are saying, but they were really starving because they had no food. And the application here begins to take place. The answer that God gave them is not only were they going to be fed, but they were going to be satisfied and they were going to remember what God had done. He lays it out. He gives them manna in Exodus chapter 16. Within the manna, there was enough for the daily needs. It was a literal daily bread that he gave them. Early in the morning, it was on the ground and they could go out and just pick up what they needed. So many times we concern ourselves with questions and burdens or needs that are further out that we shouldn't be concerned with. The Lord's prayer includes the prayer for needs, daily needs. Jesus teaches on the Sermon on the Mount that God can take care of the birds. How much more will he provide for you? Whether it's little or much, those Israelite people would go out and grab what they thought they needed and they would always have enough. You see, they got in trouble when they tried to take more than they needed when God said not to. They didn't follow the instructions and the scripture tells us that it got moldy. And it's almost like God said, really? I just told you a few verses ago. Now, he didn't say a few verses ago, but I just told you, if you just do what I say, I'll protect you from disease, from sickness. You see, but God is so good, so good to them. He's so good to us that he didn't stop with just giving them manna just to meet their daily nutritional value. He went beyond that. He not only fed them, but he satisfied them because the quail was also brought to sustain them. We serve a God that won't just give us what we need, but he will give us above and beyond all that we need according to his riches and glory. Not for your glory or for your satisfaction, but for his glory alone. He wants to bless you. He wants to keep you. He wants to use you. And as soon as you realize it's not even about you, it's about him, then you'll start walking in that type of mentality. Can I tell you, I just thank God that he keeps using me. Because at any moment, he could take his hand off of me. Because I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. All that we get from him is grace. Finally, remember his goodness. We see here in the end of chapter 16 that they take the manna and they put it in what is going to become the Ark of the Covenant to remember God's provision. Remember his goodness. Far too often we have spiritual amnesia where we are desperate for the next miracle. We completely forget what he's already done. I know that God will provide for him because he always has. I know that God will comfort me because he always has. One of the greatest challenges of our, of our nation, of the nation of Israel, and our personal walk with Jesus is forgetfulness. Maybe we should pray a little bit differently. Not, God, I need you again. I don't know why you've got me in this situation, but maybe we should start with, God, you did it then, and you're going to do it now, and I expect it, and I believe you for it. Complaint number three, Exodus chapter 17. At the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness 
of sin, not like sin, sin, but just a place, and moved from place to place. Eventually, they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water there for the people to drink. So once more, the people complained against Moses, give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me? Why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, or our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? They are ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, walk out in front of the people, take your staff, the one you used to, stri to, to strike the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai, strike the rock, and water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told, and water gushed out. Moses named this place Masa, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing. Because the people of, our, of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord. Is the Lord here with us or not? Mm. You see, here I see not only a miracle, but I see God checking the Israelites. Because at Marah, they had water, but it was bitter. Okay, he can change the water to good water. It's already there. He went to the springs, and, and he's going to heal us through the date palm trees and keep us from being sick. And, and we have water and springs for each of the tribes of Israel. And then they come to a place where there is no water and no hope for any water. And God says, watch this. Because He is creative also. Sometimes we find ourselves praying for an answer. And we find ourselves praying for provision our way. <laughs> but did you know that God likes doing it His way? <laughs> and His ways are higher than our ways. I love, I love this testimony I got just this past week. God spoke to someone. We, we took an offering for missions uh, at greater years at the seniors uh, group, and then we, we were going to take an offering for missions that night. I had made an announcement, and one of, the, one of the members of that group came back on Wednesday night and had cash on them. They had $40. It wasn't a lot of money, but it was their, it was their cash. And they're like, hey, man, I got my cash out for the week. And the Lord told them earlier in the day that you're to give that tonight in the missions offering. And the response of this individual was, well, how about 20? How about we split it? <laughs> and they said, no, the Lord said to give it all. <sighs> okay. So they had settled with them. When the offering was taken, they would give it all because they had heard from God. They felt like God said do it, and they were going to do it. <laughs> and then this pastor forgot to take the offering at all. <laughs> so they didn't have to give it. <laughs> and not only that, the very next day, they had over $1,000 of bills that just literally disappeared because, oh, yeah, you don't owe that, or that's already been paid, or this has happened. That. So God knew their heart was obedience and said, watch how creative I can be. Not only will I make Andrew forget, which wasn't very hard, but I will also wash away $1,000 worth of bills. And I'm telling you, in that season of life and in any season of life, $1,000 is a lot of money, amen? 
And if it's not a lot of money to you, I want you to see me after service. I got something for you. I have an opportunity for you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Listen, at the end of the day, God is so creative how he meets our needs. And we pray, Lord, would you just do this thing this way? And God said, no, I'm going to do it my way. <laughs> Sometimes it's more about the lesson. Do we think for a moment that God brought them to a place where the water was bitter and to a place where there was no food and to a place where there was no water at all? Do we think for a minute that when they showed up, God said, oh, wait a second. I didn't realize there was no water here. Right? Sometimes we feel like God leads us and we're following Him. And Lord, I was obedient to you and look where I am now. Did you not know this was going to happen? And God is saying, watch this. Not only can I provide for your needs, but I can provide for your needs in ways that will blow your mind. And so His creativity and His power established you can actually look up, there's the archaeologists believe they have found this rock that it is split from top to bottom. They believe that this is the rock. It's still there. I'm going to ask our worship team to come and I'm going to share with you something that brings us to the solution that we have in Christ Jesus. Deuteronomy chapter 8, Deuteronomy chapter 8 says, to be careful to obey all the commands I'm giving you today, then you will live and multiply and, I will in, and you will enter and occupy the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Remember, say remember. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He, he did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. For all these 40 years, your clothes didn't wear out and your feet didn't blister or swell. Think about it. Just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord your God disciplines you for your own good. You see, God was teaching them how to follow him, how to trust in him, how to not get rattled when things don't go the way they think it should go. And friends, I want you to know that your walk with Christ is just that. It is a walk. It is a journey. It is a process of learning who he is. And sometimes it takes discipline. It takes un uh, discomfort. It takes us being in a place that we really don't want to be. So he can teach us something. He humbled them and he made them hungry so he could show them that man doesn't live by bread alone. He supernaturally sustained them for 40 years because their clothes didn't wear out. 
In verse 10, he says, you are on your way to a good land. And when you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Don't forget to say thanks, church. In verse 11, it says, when you prosper, but the time has come to be careful. Beware that in your plenty, you do not forget the Lord your God. Mm. I've often said that sometimes we ask for God's blessing, but there's probably a really good chance the reason why we don't have a million dollars is because we wouldn't even think about God if we did. If we had all of our needs, then would we really come back to Him? When you prosper, the Lord says in this chapter, remain humble. Reminder that you're powerless without Him, but you're powerful with Him and be faithful to Him and you will remain covered by Him. I want to give you an opportunity. We're going to take communion together and and the baskets are to my right, to my left and there's some at the back, the ushers. There's four baskets And I'm going to allow you to move and go get it. Head of household can go get it for their family or all of you can move, but we're going to be singing a song right now. That's going to be our prayer. So the baskets are going to be here, here. Don't pass the baskets. Everybody's going to get up and come to you. And while we're moving around, I want you singing and prayerful. Go ahead. Let's sing this unto the Lord. Go ahead and move around and get the elements. Hallelujah. get back to your seats. Remain standing. Let's worship the Lord. Come on, make it your prayer. Are you giving them all? with his disciples at what we now know is the last supper but to them it was just supper (laughs) think about it Jesus passed the bread and broke it he said this is my body broken for you the disciples still did not understand what's about to happen 
They did not know that their best friend, their inspiration that had walked with them for three years, that called them out of normalcy and comfortability into greatness, was going to die that very night. He gave them this bread, which we now hold this wafer, that represents the body of Jesus. It doesn't become the body of Jesus, friends. It represents it. It is reverent and symbolic. And then, and then, only one disciple, only one disciple, John, stayed to see his body broken. The rest of them scattered. They ran away. The beginning of this message, I was telling you, we don't turn back. Don't be like the others. Be the one that stays close to Jesus, next to Jesus. Because that is when you see the powerful work of the cross. Can you even imagine how much regret the other disciples had in their hearts because they didn't witness the act of the cross that changed eternity? They were hiding behind the bush and hiding in their homes. They didn't see it. And God, so many times people give up on Jesus and they fail to see the powerful things that God can do in and through their life. This is my body that was broken for you, Jesus said. In his mercy and in his patience, while you and I were yet sinners, he died for us. If you're here today, and you've run from God. You're not right with Him. The Apostle Paul says, when you take this, these elements, when you take this supper, and when you remember Christ, if you're not right with God, you are taking judgment upon yourself. And I don't ever want to stand up here and allow that to happen. So I want to take a moment of reflection. And I want you to pray right where you are. I want you to ask the Lord to search your heart to forgive your sins before we receive this. Just sing that one more time while we pray. Just on your own, ask for forgiveness. Go ahead and surrender all right now. we thank you for your body that was broken for us, the suffering that you went through. It paid the price for us. There had to be payment for sin. Thank you for taking our sin. Forgive us now. Cleanse us now. As we remember your brokenness, may you restore us now as well. In the mighty name of Jesus, 
Amen. Take the bread. The scripture says in the same way he took the cup. He passed it around. This is my blood spilled for you. I'm reminded of a passage of scripture where Jesus is talking about the body and the blood and him suffering. And he says, it's, it's so graphic and yet so profound that if you can't drink my blood and you can't eat my body, of course, Jesus was talking about partaking in the cross with him, giving up your old life and following him. That's what he was talking about. But the Bible says that after he said that, many abandoned him. Many abandoned him. Remember, at the beginning, we talked about no turning back. And no matter how hard it is for you, and no matter how much faith you might need to trust him with your situation, and no matter if you even understand it all the way or not, that's where faith comes in. I don't understand how Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, died upon a cross and his blood poured out, can somehow forgive my sin. It's a miracle. But the word says it does. I, I don't grasp, honestly, I don't even grasp why God forgives me in the first place. Who am I? Who are you? But the scripture says that <laughs> he is faithful. And every time we ask him to forgive us our sins, he does and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he puts our sin as far away as the east is from the rest and forgets it. He remembers it not. And I'll have a new name when I get to heaven. And there will be no more crying. And there will be no more sickness. And there will be no more sin. Because there's a new heavens and a new earth. And the Lamb of God that was slain upon that cross sits upon the throne. Amen. He said, take this, my blood that was poured out for you for the remission, forgiveness of your sins. So Jesus, we come now recognizing that thousands of years ago, 2,000 years ago, and you sat in a room with a group of people and physically handed a cup around a table. And in a matter of hours, you gave your life for me, for us. For that, we're thankful. Now, God, may this symbol Remind us in the spirit. May it resonate with us right now of how much grace it takes 
for us to be forgiven. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Amen and amen. Take the cup and worship one more time with this song. Come on, make it your prayer today. Have your way in this house, in our lives. Help us never to forget you. Help us never to get caught up in the busyness of doing church. To miss, to miss the one who is the leader of the church, you, Lord Jesus. And God, I ask again that you would protect this house. Please. And that you would use us. Please. That lives would continue to be changed from the inside out. Even today. There are those that have made a commitment to you once again. No turning back. No turning back. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow. Isn't the presence of the Lord precious in here today? Thank you, God. I want to say something and then we'll go home. Next week we do the other sacrament of the church today, the Lord's table communion. Next week is water baptism. Listen, here's the deal. If you have a relationship with Jesus and you have not been baptized, you're not being obedient. I'm not mad at you, but you're just not being obedient because the public profession of faith happens in baptism. And I know everything sometimes within us says, well, I don't need to do it. It's just water. Well, it is just water, but it's also just obedience. <laughs> and I know my own life and even doing baptism with people. I'm going to be in the tank next week. I love baptisms. I'm telling you, something happens in the tank. Something 
happens in the tank. That thing you've been wrestling with. Come on. Get past it. Walk in obedience. Get dunked. All the way in. All the way out for the glory of God and for the life that's changed. It doesn't save you. You've already made that decision. But the moment you make that decision in the book of Acts, what do we do? They said, repent and be baptized. So come on. If you haven't been baptized yet, don't miss this opportunity. Sign up today on your way out. I can't wait to see what God does next week, especially based on what he did today. Amen? Can you give God praise? Hug a couple people on the way out. God bless you.